Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to episode 135 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live Talk Show and Podcast, brought to you by Just Thrive Probiotic. I'm Dana. And I'm Tiffany, and we'll be your hosts for this morning. Hi, Yay. good morning. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm very good. Tell us how thyroid refresh is going. Thyroid refresh is going amazing. It's just <laughs> fabulous. It's beautiful and it's very digestible. And that's what we wanted was to um, not overwhelm people. And I think we are succeeding in that. If you don't know what we're talking about, please check out my newly launched website with my fabulous partner and friend, Jenny Mahar, thyroidrefresh.com. It's really, really amazing. Yep. And we have our flagship product, which is revolutionary, that we'll be launching uh, mid-May. And it is going to change the way people manage their thyroid health. So very, very excited. So we are just busy, cranking right along, and things are going good. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Okay. Today we are talking with Dr. Stephen Lynn, board accredited dentist, TEDx speaker, and international number one Amazon best-selling author of The Dental Diet about the link between oral health and autoimmune disease. I want to shout this from the rooftops. People don't <laughs> even know. The link is crazy. And autoimmune disease and oral health, such a big topic. I cannot believe we haven't talked about this really you know in depth before on the show we've you know we've touched on it but um just really excited and also i pretty i'm pretty sure that the foreword in his book the dental diet is um from dr mark Heine, which will be on the show it next is. week <laughs> next just week kind of amazing because we had to reschedule this show with um steven and we've had to reschedule mark hyman's a couple times and we just kind of you know and then now here we have him on this week and mark hyman next week i just I think it's really cool how all the planets have lined up for that. That's really interesting. That is very cool. Very cool. Super excited to talk with both of them. Yeah. I have so many questions for Dr. Lynn. <laughs> right? It's just mm-hmm. going to be amazing. Anyways, real quick, he also talks about probiotics in the mouth, which is, brings us to our next topic. Our sponsor, thriveprobiotic.com. Amazing. We heard so much about it last week with Karen Krishnan, a microbiologist. It is a spore-based, verified-to-survive gastric acid, which is very important. Gluten, dairy, sugar-free, non-GMO, which should be mandatory minimum, and proven to reduce endotoxins, triglycerides, and symptoms of leaky gut. This is good stuff and very, very unique. You don't need a practitioner. You can get it uh, online at Thrive probiotic.com check them out dan and i think they're amazing yes we do and really honored to have them as our sponsor you know what i'm saying that's just so Mm -hmm. very cool something that that you resonate with and that you believe in is that's so very important and that's why we really um didn't have a sponsor for the first two years of the show because we just really wanted to get our footing and find our way a little bit. And then we didn't want to just have a sponsor that, you know, just to help pay for this or just to say their name or, or what have you. We did the show for free for the first two years because we really did want to resonate with the, uh, um, right. The product, you know, right. 
It was meant to be. It was meant to be. Well, he's not. Wait, 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 wait. Before I say that, it looks like he is with us. So without further ado, let's get this thyroid nation thriving. Good morning, Dr. Lynn. Can you hear us okay? Morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. We are so good. Great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We have so many questions for you. So tell us real quick, where are you calling in from this morning? I'm calling in from Sydney, Australia. And what time wow. is it and what day is it? Yeah, it's so uh, we're ahead of time, so we're in the future. <laughs> it, it's really hello? early, actually, yeah. So, hello? Yeah. Can you hear us? Oh, sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's early in the morning here, so it, it's 1 a.m. here. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, the timeline that yeah we've just had changing the clock, so the lining up to the east coast is really hard. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! goodness. So you're what probably like half asleep. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. It's yeah we've, we've had busy times. So I've been um we've been up late. So yeah, I, I'm all I'm all alert. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, so let's let's get right to it. We would love to know. Uh, your story, we always like to hear a little bit about the person and uh, how you got involved with functional dentistry. Sure, yeah. So I'm a dentist by trade, but I've I've got a background in biomedical science. So I trained for a long time in um, getting two degrees, and I was kind of out in the world um, practicing as a dentist, seeing a, a, you know, a, a lot of people out there in society really have very um, sick mouth and mm. dentists have we've got great um, tools to fix problems and kind of recreate um, you know a person's smile but I found that many of my patients were having issues and whilst um, you know recreating their smile was very rewarding for, for them it's one of the most powerful things you can do for a person I really found that the my tools didn't get to the cause of why things were happening and so tooth decay, gum disease, they're big societal problems. Um, but the, the big one that was bothering me was crooked teeth in kids. So why so many kids today have braces? There's really no answer as to why that happens. And so I actually took some time off work. And I, um, many years ago now, I, I went through Europe. And I was in a, a, a hostel in Istanbul, Turkey. And I, I was a shared reading shelf there. And there was a book by the name of Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And I kind of picked it up. Uh, it was by a guy named Weston A. Price, who was a dentist who went around the world in the 30s. And he had a theory on how food had caused all of the problems that he was seeing in his patients in Cleveland, Ohio, back in the early 1900s. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, wow, what is this? And that was kind of an eye-opening moment for myself. I actually took the book, I put the book away and kind of discounted it for a while because I thought, you know, what is this? Why wouldn't my uh, education had of, um, you know, told me about this? And I thought, oh, it must be disproven. But then I kind of went back to it years later and I, I found that, it, wow, I really don't understand this. And there was a story behind why, um, you know, so many people have dental problems today and that food was a driving factor. So that led me down the road to writing the dental diet and really kind of integrating and understanding how nutrition and how understanding 
what is happening in the body really does explain why the mouth-body connection is one of the most powerful diagnostic tools we really have. And a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> and, and, you know, we were saying at the beginning of the show, I want to, you know, get my bullhorn and share this with the world because really people don't get it. But it makes kind of common sense sense to me. You know, it's your mouth and every, it's the starting point. So to me, it kind of makes sense. But not a lot of people put that connection together. So we're thrilled to have you on and be talking about this and exploring it a little bit further. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's so true that, you know, I think we kind of think of our mouth and teeth as something that we go and get fixed. Uh, if there's a problem, that that's kind of how we approach it. It's a bit of a societal kind of um, idea, but, you know, there are some really powerful messages you know, in your mouth as to how you can improve your whole body health. Now let's go back just a, a little bit. Uh, back, if you don't mind, Dr. Lynn, I know there's so many people out there, even though we're dealing with, uh, you know, Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism and mainly adults uh, in this conversation, but the mouth health goes all the way back to childhood and uh, different things that were done there. I know there's so many people that believe that things that were done, uh, you know, dentistry work and things in their childhood is part of what triggered possibly autoimmunity or was was such a precursor in health problems that developed later. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is really important, especially um, in childhood. So for parents that might be suspecting, uh, you know, that their child does have have a form of hypothyroidism, you know, there really are some really key signs in, in kids that we are, we are really kind of, we can see them out there, we can see that the thyroid potentially is telling us something is wrong. And so the thing obviously we know about um, something like a condition like Hashimoto's disease is that we have uh, an autoimmune condition. And so that really goes alongside um, gut problems, and it goes alongside uh, gum problems. So, in 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 a person with um, in their teens and early twenties, we often find uh, that people will have uh, their periodontal health will decline a little bit a little bit faster than we uh, than we see in other people. So, people with bleeding gums, especially so chronic bleeding gums, really is one of the first signs that we pick up in teens and early 20s. But then if we go earlier, again, we see in, in the growth phase of, of, um, of children, you know, that we really see the jaw and, and the mouth not developing as it shouldn't. And it can be a cardinal sign that we do have uh, hypothyroidism present. Now, can I ask you a question about um, tongue tie? I know you've got a great story uh, on your website about uh, a woman who was tongue-tied, uh, and it wasn't addressed until she was actually an adult, and she had an enormous amount of of um, benefits from actually releasing that tongue tie. Now, I I know that it's it's difficult to find any research that shows that tongue tie is actually associated with autoimmunity, but I know that, uh, and I always pronounce this wrong. So, any advocates for Eiler Danlos, please forgive me and feel free to give me the proper pronunciation. But there have been um, some real uh, statistics 
among patients on Ehlers-Danlos and Hashimoto's as well. Can you tell us a little bit about tongue tie possibly and how that can benefit? Maybe, uh, maybe some people that are listening should walk into the mirror and see if there's any tongue tie there uh, and what you think about that. Yeah, tongue ties are a condition that is far more common than we would um, expect today. Uh, you know, the, the literature shows, you know, what it, it may be present in 10 to 15% of people. Um, but what we observe clinically and what uh, people that specialise in, um, in, in, in this area are seeing is that it's, it's far more common. And so that means that in children today, we, we often see tongue tie. Uh, you know, in a high proportion of kids, and we also see it untreated in adults, and that's because uh, you know, in the late 1900s and uh, early 2000s, even we really weren't diagnosing people with tongue tie. So it's actually a flap of skin under the tongue uh, that really shouldn't be there; it should be kind of eaten away uh, uh, during um, uh, our time in the womb, and so. What it signals and what it links to are nutrient problems. Uh, so we know that it, it, it can um, have a high prevalence also in MTHFR. And so we kind of see this, um, this spectrum of conditions where we have poor nutrient absorption. And then we do see a high proportion of tongue ties as well. So people with um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or... Um, or uh, Hashimoto's, I would certainly check yourself for tongue tie. And the thing is, what it does is it can increase your risk of uh, mouth breathing, which is which because it actually pins the tongue down, and so uh, people respond differently. But it actually can um, predispose to mouth breathing, and that is actually a sign of hypothyroidism itself. So alongside um, uh, you know, checking for mouth breathing and, and jaw development in, in children and, and adults as well, I would be going along and certainly checking yourself for, uh, for a tongue tie. And this is in kids and adults too. We can, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit um, more uh, complicated to release it in adults, but it can be very, as you say, very life-changing because the tongue should be positioned up at the roof of the mouth. And generally in hypo, hypothyroid people, we have this very skinny uh mouth hide, hide palate and, and that's really where the tongue should be so tongue toes can affect that relationship and I would certainly be thinking that for people who do have it have the condition now it can affect um I come from a whole family of tongue ties Dr. Lynn <laughs> so it's, it's an I'm one where it affected my child's speech significantly and unfortunately, it wasn't diagnosed uh, officially until she was almost eight. So just an ouchie there. But um, can affect digestion and salivary production, which can also affect the teeth and all that. I mean, it's a, I don't know, maybe it's just a personal thing, but I think it's a big deal, <laughs> especially digestion. I mean, your ability to chew and the, the tongue is a pretty, pretty important. Absolutely not wrong at all. And... <laughs> You know, we've really kind of um, misunderstood how important the tongue is. And for kids, you can really kind of see sometimes you get this uh, kind of swollen tongue or um, glossitis or macroglossia, especially in hypothyroid kids. And, and you'll kind of look into their mouth and, and you'll see, that you'll think that, well, their tongue's too big for their mouth. So that can be a sign that the, uh, the of hypothyroidism itself. Uh, and then 
if their if their tongue is postured to the bottom of their mouth, so if their mouth is always open, watch them when they're when they're uh, watching television. You know that can potentially be a sign of that tongue tie. So and it really does speak to their ability to be able to swallow properly their digestive system. It's all the start of the digestive system. The amazing thing too is that posturally, uh, you'll see people uh, that mouth breathe. They often put their head is tilted forward from a side view. And that's a real cardinal sign that they're not breathing properly. So always, always check a child from the front and the tongue does help that because it connects via fascia right down to the toes. So right through your legs, through your uh, hips and uh, spine, there is a whole system there via fascia tissue connecting to your tongue. So it's like a rudder for your whole body. So it's really important to kind of reposture kids to get their uh, tongue sitting as it should that gets them growing so their their palate growing widely decreases the risk of braces and then we can um you know really get them breathing properly and posturing properly as well now in relationship to autoimmune disease do you see patients where you know um that might present with certain mouth presentations uh, where you would say, you know, do you have any health conditions or you might want to get checked? Anything for the listeners? I know you had mentioned the link of uh, gum disease uh, with autoimmunity, but anything that you really see within the teeth, whether it be like weak enamel, uh, any any tips there? Yeah, sure. So in, in kids or um, adults who are underdiagnosed, so Slow-developing enamel, so where we have discoloration or pitting in um, in uh, the development of the enamel, so that can uh, show up as kind of brown stains or pits. Uh, that can be a sign of a digestive problem that, that uh, signals an underlying uh, autoimmune condition. Uh, so all of your um, uh, irritable bowel um, uh, conditions often come alongside, but also then the... Um, the autoimmune conditions that uh, underlie all of the, the, the digestive problems, they can show up with things like mouth ulcers, um, other conditions like uh, redness of the cheek or tongue. But the ones we really see too are uh, where you get the white um, fluffy lesions on the cheek. And so that can signal as well of with um, as an autoimmune condition. So what, and the thing about autoimmune conditions we need to remember is that they go alongside each other. So we, the gum disease and these mouth lesions or slow-developing enamel often come alongside as another sign. So we should really be thinking along the lines that, well, there's something happening here uh, where we're getting this, uh, you know, sometimes triad, sometimes um, multi-pronged uh, autoimmune condition. And there's really often signs of the mouth. So all of those signs we just talked about, with the tongue, so a swollen tongue um, or, or a tongue tie or mouth breathing. But then alongside that, we have the gums, we have the, um, the lesions and the, um, also the dry mouth is really, really common as well. Um, and so that, uh, sometimes you can have actually enlarged salivary glands, uh, which is common in a condition called Shrogan syndrome, which is a uh, autoimmune condition of the, the salivary gland, so you get a dry, chronic dry mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. But that also goes alongside periodontal disease and then the other autoimmune conditions as well. So this often um, happens in less in uh, certain 
uh, risk factors, but they go a lot ro- alongside hypothyroidism. And everyone should be thinking about that. And we can often pick things up early and really kind of see there's an, an issue happening with the gut and auto, an autoimmune condition. Yeah, I thought that was interesting in that article how you talked about mouth breathers and sleep apnea and, um, you know, with the tongue tie and how that, that might be something that's contributing to that. You've got some fascinating articles. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, reading them. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating connection, and, you know, it really does, you know, pick up a lot of, um, especially in hypothyroid kids There's a with tongue ties, we just find that they're slow developers, and so... Another sign that can pop up as well is that the teeth actually don't um, exfoliate or fall out. Uh, they fall out a bit late. So normally um, baby teeth will fall out in a uh, in, in kind of a range of time, but often with uh, hypothyroidism or you know, certain um, autoimmune conditions, we find the kids will actually exfoliate late so the, the, the baby teeth just won't fall out. And that can be a, a big... Um, a sign and that the adult teeth for one aren't coming through quickly so we have this slow turnover of the mouth and that really is a sign that with hypothyroid potential hypothyroidism we have an issue there and so you know we generally find that there's this slow development so we have this high skinny palate skinny face mouth breathing and functionally uh the child is is um is slower with uh their dental development as well Interesting. I want to reel you back because you mentioned um, mouth lesions, uh, like um, um, it's not the fever blisters. I'm so sorry. My brain is, is uh, but toothpaste and sodium lauryl sulfate, and, of course, there's, there's genetics that may play a role with that with the CBS SNP. But uh, sodium, sodium lauryl sulfate can cause mouth ulcers. Uh, for some people, is that correct? I mean, is that we we hear so much? I mean, there's so much information flying around online, uh, Dr. Lynn. But sodium lauryl sulfate in your toothpaste is that a is that a bad thing for your teeth, for your mouth? Certain people can have reactions to um, so sodium lauryl sulfate or SLS, as you see on on toothpaste, and it really is a bit of a worthless addition to most most um, of your toothpaste that sit on the supermarket shelf. And so, yeah, it uses a surfactant, which helps kind of make, give it that fluffy um, kind of detergent feel in the mouth. But, yeah, mouth lesions, people that have chronic mouth lesions, I would definitely look at removing uh, toothpaste with uh, sodium lauryl sulfate to see if there is a reaction. And then if, if we remove the toothpaste and we're still having any kind of lesions, those lesions on the tongue, the side of the cheek, uh, the lips even, then I'll definitely be thinking along the signs of what's happening in the gut and in that autoimmune problem. And then we might be looking at something like hypothyroidism. Can we jump really quickly and just talk about fluoride for a minute? As I, it's, I was going to... You're reading my mind. Such <laughs> big topic for me in my family especially, and I want you to go there. Will you go there about fluoride, please? <laughs> please. Talk about fluoride. <laughs> Yeah, look, fluoride is really a uh, you know kind of controversial topic. Um, the the thing that I really try and emphasise with fluoride is that it is a treatment, and we shouldn't really see it as prevention as such. So, in some cases where we have 
you know, a high amount of severe decay, fluoride can be a, a, a treatment that, are, um, that uh, can be effective in halting and preventing, um, uh, you know, severe lesions of, um, of tooth decay. But in terms of prevention, we really shouldn't uh, be kind of thinking that, uh, you know, a fluoride toothpaste every day. Now, I'll just talk to you a little bit about the, the concentration of fluoride toothpaste. So the concentration that you'll get in your supermarket toothpaste uh, that has fluoride in it is effectively at the same concentration as water fluoride and water fluoridation. And so that's um, shown to be effective when you take it systemically and it's actually um, taken into the uh, tooth enamel. Now, so that doesn't work topically with a, with a toothpaste. So it doesn't make sense to be using a fluoride toothpaste every day for a start. But then with water fluoridation, we have the problem where we, we take in um, fluoride and it competes with iodine in the body. And that can potentially, if, we, if we're showing signs of hypothyroidism, I would certainly be um, thinking that I would be trying to reduce exposure to fluoride because of that risk of uh, hypothyroidism. And so there's, there is um, a, a good amount of research. It's growing. It still needs to grow a bit about how we understand that connection, but... We do know that fluoride competes with iodine in the body um, and with the production of thyroid hormones. And so I would really suggest that if anyone is showing signs of hypothyroidism and, and or any other oral signs or we have a kid with uh, developing slowly mouth breathing, I would be thinking about you know how we are um, healing that, that child nutritionally uh, instead of going down the lines of fluoride because we do have that interplay obviously with the with thyroid hormone production. So um, I'm also thinking that anybody with a possible autoimmune condition might be weary of, of using fluoride as well. Is that a true statement? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyone with any kind of autoimmune condition really is going to, um, you know, we really need to kind of find out why their gut is unhappy, why they're having uh, the, you know, the symptoms of um, permeability. So, uh Fluoride really is only a treatment. It, has, it does have all its disadvantages, unfortunately. Um, so I, I would be certainly wary of that, and I would really be looking at more effective ways of um, you know, managing your gums and teeth, such as vitamin D levels, um, you know, eating a nutrient-dense uh, diet in fat-soluble vitamins, which uh, often you know, in autoimmunity we see vitamin D deficiency very commonly. And so that's a far more um, important connection than breathing and, and the sleep. So improving um, the delivery of oxygen throughout the body is important as well. We, we see higher rates of sleep apnea in people that mouth breathe. And so this, these are really far more powerful ways to kind of start healing, healing uh, the oral uh, cavity instead of just throwing fluoride on. Once you kind of change that paradigm and, and we kind of see fluoride for what it is I think it it becomes quite clear that you know in most situations we should be really understanding what's happening in the body but you know before we just go throw, throwing something like fluoride in so let me can I help um, would this be a fair statement so we need to focus on nutrients in particular uh, you said you mentioned the fat soluble a d e and k Right, there's other vitamins like zinc that play a huge role in teeth. Uh, 
molybdenum, things like that. So we focus on nutrients first. And then if someone presents with weak enamel and fluoride may be a choice for that person, then iodine would be a, a, a potentially a focus of using with that. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, I think that's sensible. Um, you know, we, we certainly, iodine is something that, you know, we, we don't, um, you know, people often don't get recommended, you know, to take uh, iodine, um, you know, alongside, for instance, dental treatment. But I, if there is a high amount of decay, there can be, um, there can be application of topical fluoride in high concentration. Now we can isolate in the mouth, but there will be some in there will be some ingestion. Um, so I, I, I would certainly recommend that iodine, yeah, alongside those kind of treatments, would would be beneficial because we can we can um, help balance uh, that that interplay out between fluoride and, and iodine. Oh sure, I mean, and and we also have other insults like bromide and things like that, not necessarily to the teeth, but uh, through ingestion. I know there's. There's uh, physicians like Dr. Amy Myers who recommends a minimum of 300 micrograms as a general rule for people with autoimmunity. So iodine is one of those, you know, it's on both ends of the board. It's one of our favorite questions. <laughs> but we, we got from the dentist, we got a really other important perspective of fluoride where, you know, fluoride plays a role in uh, tooth development and tooth health and things like that. That's what is what you said, right? I mean, it's not as simple as saying, you know, vilifying iodine or vilifying fluoride. They they all have a particular purpose in the human body. Yes, fluoride itself. We don't need fluoride to for for the enamel to develop, but it can um, be incorporated into the enamel to make it more um, acid resistant. But it. Yeah, there, there is a role, um, you know, topically, I think, of fluoride in, in the treatment cycle of, of lesions. Um, but, yeah, we, we really should be thinking on how the body is balancing. And if we do have something like a, um, a lesion, you know, we really have that microbiome imbalance. We have that nutrient deficiency. We've got to remember, too, that teeth have an immune system, which is really important. And so if we feed those... Uh, those cells the right thing we really don't need something like fluoride so but then once we do have an issue we can apply it and then obviously if we understand the link between iodine and fluoride we can we can um decrease that uh you know the the potential um problems down the line all right but can i ask you a direct question if we have sure if you have a patient with hashimoto's with weak teeth enamel, do you recommend fluoride treatments? Look, it would have to be uh, quite severe. Decay. I don't mean to put I... you on the spot, <laughs> but I'm, I'm honestly, I honestly, this is why we have you here, Dr. Lin. We want, we want to know. You're the expert, so. Yeah, sure. No, completely. It's a great question. Um, look, it's always case by case. There may be some. It really will depend on the patient's. Um, you know, obviously, ability to uh, you know put themselves on a long-term health plan. Some people, for instance, will come to the dentist and they will uh, you know they, they want a tooth fixed, for instance. So in those kind of scenarios, fluoride may help us out in kind of halting a lesion. But if anyone is, and this is really where the philosophy kind of moves to um, you know whole body healing. You know, if we're looking at 
at the whole body and and uh, the presence of hypothyroidism. We'd certainly be looking at conditions like um, their vitamin D levels. Uh, you know, their obviously their their intake of um, harmful foods, but really get them on a nutrient dense diet. That's where I would be focusing um, for if we do have those lesions. You know, certain restorative. Um, options uh, can help but we really need that body to be strong and healing properly uh, if we're going to go down the road of long-term um, the tooth viability i i would use fluoride say in a very small subset of those cases if people do need a quick fix or they have um, you know we have fast disease processes happening um, but in the cases of uh, you know more chronic um, problems we really want to dig into why that's happening in the body uh, instead of simply just, um, you know, kind of band-aiding over. Okay, so okay, the focus so... would be on, on nutrients. Can you heal a lesion, a cavity to the tooth without filling it? So it's possible. So the, there are different levels. of So the, the white layer in the tooth that is the tooth enamel um, is the, the outermost layer. And so uh, that is... Is probably the, the uh, a part of the body that is most like bone, and it doesn't have its own cells. And so, when you lose enamel, you actually your body doesn't have the ability to reproduce it, um, and so that can require restoration. But the level under the enamel, the dentin, which is what happens um, when we have kind of a shadowing of the tooth, if you have a lesion in the dentin, and sometimes the enamel will sit over the top. And you'll see a shadowing, and there's uh, on a radiograph or an X-ray, you'll see this shadowing, uh, and the lesion will be underneath. Now the dentin is living, and so it has its own cells um, that are part of the osteoimmune uh, system, and they actually uh, have the ability to heal your tooth. So it can um, actually seal the dentin off, and it can actually remineralize. So if there is a lesion uh, that where there isn't significant enamel loss, there, it's possible to heal. The body has its abilities as long as it's fed the right way and it has the right signals and uh, the right microbes to work with in the body, then we can, we, we can heal lesions. So it's possible, yes. Once so it's possible, amount- but it depends on the depth of the, of the, of the damage, of the, the lesion, which is the cavity, correct? That would be... Absolutely. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. That, because once a, a certain uh, amount of that enamel is lost, then we, yeah, we, we, we do generally have to reproduce that. In kids, you know, we might be able to get by, by, re, um, by healing that over. And they, the kids' teeth uh, do kind of have thicker um, layers of this, um, of this dentin, and it will seal over better uh, until the tooth needs to, to fall out. So it is possible, and you should really be thinking about your body's inner ability to heal itself, right? Um, because, you know, we really want to understand why that happened in the first place and, and address that. Okay, so would it be a fair statement to say that fluoride is okay, but it's more um, for or needed like an uh, as-needed basis on an as-needed basis? Like it, it isn't just everybody needs to go out and it's have fluoride in their dependence. Per person right. dependent and, and kind of as needed. So if fluoride's added to water here, and you know every toothpaste has fluoride in it. And so my understanding was that you really fluoride's good in certain circumstances, but 
as I said, on an as-needed or per-person basis and not just blatantly in all of our, you know, toothpaste. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that, that's a great statement, actually. That's a great way to put it. It really does, um, you know, put into perspective how we should be seeing it. We've unfortunately seen fluoride as kind of a baseline prevention for, um, you know, for tooth decay, but really, um, and especially in, in children um, where we see autoimmune conditions or um, hypothyroidism, you know, it, we really want to be digging into why uh, the lesions are happening in the first place. And fluoride doesn't provide us with that, that information. It might give us the tool to kind of halt that, that um, disease process, but it, it doesn't help us get to the, to the root cause. So I think that's a great perspective to have. And it is just a, a slight um, movement, you know, where we see, uh, you know, the idea of water fluoridation and toothpaste, it really doesn't get to the, um, to the real ways that we, can, we should be preventing tooth decay. All right, so let's ask, a, let's ask a question about root canals because I'm sure that we have many listeners as adults who have mouthfuls of fillings and obviously have gum disease with Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism and root canals. And I actually have a couple, and so I'm not I'm not real thrilled with that. And before I knew um, more about root canals, because they just you know you go to a dentist and they just say this is what you have to do. You have to have a root canal. Period. And you don't talk anything more about that. So um, I probably will uh, get them removed at some point. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So root canal treatments are a way to um, uh, to address. Uh, where, where the pulp inside the tooth has, has become infected or it's, it's died. And so what happens is we have, a, we have a, um, a discolored or painful tooth. And the only real way to keep that tooth there is to, um, is to deal with the infection that has caused the, the nerve to die in the first place. And so that is called root canal treatment. But the problem with these treatment is that they can have issues with um, because there are many many canals through the tooth and so the body has many different um, uh, communications with uh, uh, with with the, the tooth itself and so what happens when you get one of these infections is that it uh, you know you can have quite a, a severe local or or you can actually feel pretty um, pretty lousy yourself and so that can be a sign that you have uh, a, a nerve that's died. A root canal treatment. The problem with them is that they they do have a high failure rate. Now I've seen teeth, um, and you know I hope yours are, are, are one of these where we've had um, infections, and a root canal treatment will cause the infection to to go away. And so we see this radiographically. There'll be a shadow under the tooth, and it will shrink um, after the root canal treatment is completed. We have bone. Uh, Redeposit, but there are many times where these uh, root canal treatments uh, can get infected as well. And it, we, I think it's important to put in into perspective that you know we're really dealing with an, um, a situation that isn't ideal. The other option is to take the tooth out, and so we really need to kind of think of um, an implant to replace or something along those lines, which can be. Um, quite expensive. So I think there are situations where root canal treatment um, is okay if we want to keep a tooth uh, for a bit longer and that we're confident to, um, to get a good seal in those canals. 
if you have root treated teeth and you have a condition, an autoimmune condition and especially thyroid condition, I would be thinking and checking if you do have any recurrent infection with that tooth. And if there is, then you will certainly want to look at, at removing because it can be a source of infection which can cause chronic inflammation. Um, and so if you're suffering these symptoms and that you have a root-treated uh, tooth that is uh, you know, at the cause, you would want to think about removing it. And that's, it's that's my understanding. Sorry, that Ted, tooth I was just going to say. tooth has shown to be teeth problems for triggers for Hashimoto's, Right. Yeah, exactly. So we can, we can certainly have um, yeah, exactly that link can certainly turn up. I you know it, in terms of um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, kind of conjecture out there about root canal treatments. I would certainly um, you know obviously we go down the road of you know using alternatives if possible. Some people um, you know have had uh, you know root treatments over the years and and. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people that don't have health problems with root treatments um, as well. So there is that perspective too, but we, I, I would certainly be looking at if there is underlying signs of disease, we'll be looking very closely at those teeth. Um, is, it, is it true that, um, you know, the bacteria, you know, from the infection or whatever it was, is generally probably, in my understanding, still there after the root canal? And so... My, you know, that was the reason for my question because I'm thinking if you have this root canal done, you want the whole thing to go away and be done. But a lot of times, the bacteria and the issue really kind of still is still there and can cause heart issues and all kinds of things. Is that is that right? Yeah. What we what can what the dentist is trying to achieve with root canal treatment is to remove those bacteria that cause the infection in the first place. It, we now know it's very difficult because the the anatomy of of the uh, the tooth uh, nerve really is far more difficult to treat via we generally feel kind of one canal um, and you know it's far more complex than that so there will be bacteria that's that's left behind now what what can happen is that we have this low-grade inflammation in the body that that can put us at risk of conditions like heart disease so if there are those signs of um, of inflammation the, a root treated tooth can be a source of that. So that, that is a possibility, yeah. Okay, so I have a question. When a root canal is part of a possibility, if the person were to, obviously the body has, to, has abilities when it's healthy and functional to fight bacteria. So if someone, you know, just giving a systemic antibiotic obviously doesn't doesn't necessarily kill the bacteria that's at the origin for the need of the root canal. So if somebody were to bump up their vitamins or use fermented foods or focus on probiotics and prebiotics in the mouth and even potentially the use of eugenol, which uh, would be in uh, an essential oil like clove, wouldn't that be a more effective target for a bacteria in a tooth than a systemic antibiotic? And tell me just, oh, hell no, if that's what comes to mind. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so the the kind of the rationale behind a, a systemic antibiotic is to get rid of that bacterial infection 
down in that root system. Yeah, so the it really is a band-aid effect to start with. You know, it, an antibiotic is really, uh, I, I would only recommend that in severe um, uh, infection case, we don't want to approach, uh, you know, with a systemic antibiotic, you know, to... to um, Unless yeah, it was at that level. Tr- yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but so there, there are, I would certainly be thinking along the lines of um, pre and probiotics for long-term healing, depending on the, the situation. Now, the problem with the mouth is we've got thousands of bacteria swimming around there all the time, right? So what we do find is if there is open lesion, um, you know, we can get uh, you know reinfection uh, if we don't control the environment. But so... Probiotics and prebiotics will certainly be helped to kind of get a, a balanced ecology in the oral microbiome instead of having these infectious uh, bugs taking control. Now, in terms of a root-treated tooth and an infection, um, it may be difficult with that kind of, um, with, with say a clove oil, or you know, to really treat that because we need to get the, um, you know, we need to get the medicament down into the canal system and it needs to be isolated. So it might be difficult to treat an infection with just that, but it certainly would help decrease the inflammation. So, uh, you know, clove oil is great for approaching, um, you know, toothaches and um, and, and certain pain, conditions. Right? Good until you can yeah. get to the dentist. <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, it really can be um, because a toothache is a terrible experience for, um, you know, for some people, and if, if access to the dentist is an issue. A uh, usual or clovol would certainly be helpful for that. I have a uh, something I wanted to just kind of throw in there. Um, you mentioned Weston um, Price earlier, and I know that he did. He was able to show that root canals can cause chronic uh, chronic diseases of inflammation, and he did that by um, experimenting on rabbits. I think it's so interesting to note that um, I think he used extracted teeth from people that had different health problems and um, his research found that when that um, rabbits would develop that condition the person had, if they put the tooth in, you know, I don't know, do you know the study? Because it's very interesting to me. Yeah. That, so that was a, a, an arm of Price's research that was really, um, really present you know, before his nutritional studies. So Price was the founder of the American Dental Association arm uh, the research arm, sorry, and so he had many, many studies, so, so ahead of his time, um, and so the focal infection theory that he put together was that you know that infection inside a tooth can affect systemically, and yeah, exactly. So we can see uh, certain conditions pop up because we have this chronic infection in the mouth, and so what happened was that uh, yeah, he he would put the the tooth, as you say, into into rabbits, and that we'll see um, certain um, symptoms or certain uh, conditions show up uh, associated with the bacteria. And this goes back to the um, the bacteria we were just talking about. Now, today we have a much better understanding as to the, the species that are living there. Back then, he was really kind of looking at symptoms and how the body responds. But what he was more or less showing is that a chronic infection in the mouth you know, can really have, uh, you know, a profound systemic effect uh, and can be at the cause of those conditions. And so that's, that's kind of at the, the, the root of why, uh, you know, um, 
for instance, root-treated teeth may be linked to chronic disease. Um, and, and his research really was uh, kind of seminal to all of that. It's it's fascinating. It's scary, but also he definitely was ahead of his time. It's just, it's very interesting. I just kind of wanted to throw that in there because people just don't realize how uh, the mouth is, you know, you should be, you know, kind of taken a little bit more seriously. Yeah, well, absolutely. He really that. was ahead of his time. It, it, it's quite, um, it's quite amazing how forward thinking he was and, you know, that he saw these things. This is, you know, 70 years ago now. Um, yeah, and he was really thinking in a way that, uh, unfortunately, we, we, we don't see the mouth today and, and something that I think that, uh, that I hope that in, in the future perception and the training of dentists will really kind of build this uh, idea of the mouth being this focal point of, of um, signs of, of health and disease in the body. Is it true that there's no um, way to completely remove all the dead tissue from the tooth uh, when you're doing the root canal? It's very, very difficult, yes. So what will happen is that um, in certain situations, you'll get the tooth um, to heal. Uh, you know, root canal treatments do fail a lot of the time, and that will often be a sign that, that there isn't a sign of infected, um, uh, sorry, there is a sign of infected uh, material left inside. And so it is very difficult, yes. And so it's, it's highly unlikely that we're able to remove all infected um, species and, and tissues from the tooth because it's so complicated. Wow. In an ideal world, what is an alternative to a root canal? It sounds like a root canal with its uh, failure rate and not being able to collect all the dead tissue. What What is, in an ideal world, like when you sleep at night, <laughs> do you dream hmm. of, of an alternative <laughs> to a root canal that would be effective? I know that sounds terrible, but... Uh, but is there? Well, so really what we should be thinking is that, you know, in, in certain can, places, you know, root, root canals can be very useful to keep teeth such as in trauma or, um, or you know, certain times where we've had decay, uh, rampant tooth decay. But really what happens is that, you know, a tooth has an ability, an ability to heal itself. And so the reason why we, we treat, treat a tooth is because it gets an irreversible pulpitis. So, and this pulpitis becomes irreversible um, because of a disease process, a chronic infection. And so the body actually releases proteins called osteocalcin to heal and um, actually prevent a tooth from going into irreversible, irreversible pulpitis. Uh, and these proteins are fed by the same things that fuel this immune system. So our vitamin D level. So if we eat in a way that helps our body to have a, a, a normal and healing response in the mouth, we can prevent those, uh, those teeth from going down the road of an irreversible pulpitis. So it is an, an immune response and there, there is a reaction from the body that can prevent the uh, disease process from going forward. So yeah, that's something I've dreamt about. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so if I if I have a if I have a, a, an issue with my tooth and I walk into you, um, and it's at that level, um, root canal is not going to be the first thing you say to me. Is that true? Yeah, we really want to we really want to understand why. Now it will depend. So, so if if the tooth is you know it, we're really going to be in a state of pain. So pain is it's the first thing we need to kind of address, <laughs> um, right? <laughs> because. 
people aren't going to listen to anything else if they have a screaming toothache. But you're right. So there, there are, we need to find out. We want to get um, some baseline um, levels as to why the, the problem's happening in the first place and really what our options are to kind of prevent going down this road. And so if, if something like a root canal treatment is our, you know, you know, is you know, kind of the the best case scenario. We've really tried to explore other options. Um, once we lose tooth structure, you know, it unfortunately is a reality. But if we can get a tooth to kind of um, to heal itself, and then we can, uh, for instance, get a restoration over the top, a porcelain restoration, restoration, uh, you know, we may be able to prevent having the root canal in uh, in the first place. Okay, last last root canal uh, question or statement. And then we can move on to some other things. But what about the materials that they use, um, you know, when they're doing the root canal? Um, are those harmful at all, or are they safe? Or I mean, to me, I just like, it makes me a little it makes me a little hesitant. So uh, I'd had one of my tooth my teeth extracted, so I didn't have to to deal with that for future issues. But I'm just wondering, what about the materials that they use? Yeah, sure. So the, the disinfectant materials, so um, Milton's or uh, um, sodium hypochlorite, which is a bleach, uh, is often used in in root canal treatment. Certainly, uh, can have can have problems. Uh, you know, if it's performed properly, if we have isolation, um, you know, there should be a minimal exposure to the body. But they're really, you know, you can't guarantee that you're not getting um, uh, you know systemic issues with you know. The mouth connects to everything in the body, so that certainly is an issue. And people that are sensitive and people that are, uh, certainly have uh, autoimmune and gut issues should be thinking, you know, should be, you know, questioning, um, you know, what uh, materials a dentist is going to use. So I, I think it's it's certainly prudent to at least ask those questions and um, you know put that into your line of making a decision on a treatment. So if I'm this like perfectly healthy, you know, Olympic athlete, then I can maybe probably, depending on you know all of my nutrients and all that, get a root canal. But if I'm not one of those people, maybe I should look at alternative options, right? Exactly, that's a great way to put it. You know, exactly right. If you're an Olympic athlete, you might be able. <laughs> there, but certainly the the body does have an ability to kind of heal to heal. So there are situations where it works. If you're suffering already, you should you know, potentially be thinking, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Hmm. All right. Hmm. So I know we've, we probably have a ton of people with a mouthful of cavities that want us to ask the mercury question. <laughs> Do they get them removed? Do they leave them? I mean, removing them, is that more exposure to mercury? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this flows on great from the last question in that the mercury and uh, the the materials that uh, have been placed in the mouth, um, mercury isn't very commonly placed today, but it, it can be. Um, but the thing about uh, metal exposure is that that puts a load onto your um, onto your body uh, to remove. So people that have issues with the gut and um, especially autoimmune conditions. Um, you know, when you have a, a, a chronic mercury exposure, there can be um, a, a problem when, when you don't have the capability to, to excrete that. So with, with people with uh, signs of uh, mercury uh, toxicity and underlying problems, I would 
I would certainly go down the lines of you want to really kind of get your body uh, to a place where it's um, where it's healing quickly and that it's it's feeling um, you know you, you're feeling on top of things before you remove amalgam. Now you can have them removed uh, safely, uh, but they, uh, you really want to be getting your um, clearance and your liver function uh, at, at its peak before getting that removed. Now, it, for mercury, I, I, I really as well don't um, recommend a blanket kind of solution of removing all the time. Um, certain people will cope with an amalgam and, and the local effect on the tooth of removing a filling can be traumatic as well. So I really think that it's a case-by-case uh, basis, but if you do have mercury fillings and you have these other symptoms, uh, you, you, I, I would recommend certainly potentially going down that line of investigation. So having them re- removed can completely decrease that exposure to mercury throughout the body, um, and it can you know help the body to clear that uh, that metal toxicity uh, that the liver is coping with. Is there a safer substance to fill a cavity for somebody with Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism? Is there is there a safe substance? I mean, every substance is going to have its um, have drawbacks. Uh, yeah, exactly, right. its drawbacks. Now, the composites, so the, the BPAs in composites can be an issue as well. Um, so you want to, f- and so they're the white fillings. So we really don't have a lot of options. You know, there's the glass ionomer fillings that isn't a great um, aesthetic or it doesn't have good biomechanical strength uh, to last for a long time. So the composites will usually, uh, you know, be a better kind of um, uh, fit than, for instance, if we have ma- amalgam toxicity. But probably the most uh, uh, biomimetic uh, uh, material we have is the porcelain. So if you are thinking about uh, replacing amalgam, you probably want to go down the, the road of replacing with, with porcelain fillings. Uh, it does have the least uh, exposure of harmful um, uh, products to the body. And that's the that's the key statement, the the least amount, right? <laughs> so it doesn't absolutely, feel like absolutely. very safe, you know, it's it's very it's very scary. Well we don't, we can't unfortunately grow teeth back, yeah. So everything we do is, is yeah, exactly right. It's um you know, everything we do will have some drawback, but uh, you know, we really have to kind of put that into balance as to, you know, teeth are very important and you know, the restorative options can provide a very viable way of, um, you know, you know, rebuilding a tooth. But it, you know, we do need to think about the the flow-on effects to the body as well. Uh, we certainly should not discount that. And one of the major points for me is that people really just don't uh, associate, you know, the mouth or oral dental care, you know, with anything else. It's like. I have this tooth issue. I go to the dentist. I get it fixed. And I come home, and I'm everything's fine. You know, they just don't. They need to. When you go to the dentist, it needs to be more than just about that. You know, it needs to be more about your health and your and digestion and and that kind of thing. And I think that's where we're we're falling short, don't you? Maybe not Absolutely. you. Absolutely, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Though it, we are conditioned to think that way, and it does. You know, kind of. You know, we we kind of just hope we, we want a tooth fixed, and we'll. We'll go on in our way, but you know, if 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 we don't see that there's a you know potential signs of other problems, you know, we can run into um, you know chronic diseases down the road if, if we kind of ignore that that part of our oral health. 
Okay, really quick. I know I said I wasn't going to say anything else about root canals, but what is your thought on, I know person to person, okay, we've got that, but overall, how do you feel about root canal extraction? Depends on the person? Yeah, it really, really would depend on the person. Look, okay. if, uh, you know, there are great options for ceramic or, or, or um, implants now. So if, look, if there are sim- other symptoms, you, you would, uh, and there are, there are local signs of infection in a root canal, I would certainly be thinking of, um, of removing the teeth and, and replacing with, um, uh, with, a, with a, for instance, a ceramic implant or a, um, or a metal implant if we've done the metal testing. Um, but, yeah, so I, I really try and err on the, on the, you know, we will try and work with the body to try and heal uh, first. But, uh, you know, root canal extractions do certainly have their place. And if there is signs of chronic disease, it's hard to, it is hard to say on, on a population space, you know, whether we, uh, you know, how to make decisions in these cases because it is really case by case. Right, I'm sure there's people that present to you when, you know, they, they sit down and open their mouth and you're thinking in your head, we got to get that out. Right, there's some people that you might be more willing or more apt to work with some other things first, and then some people are like, we got to get that tooth out. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it <laughs> it's so hard to answer a general question, right? I mean, it's, it's so per person. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. and But, you know, if we're kind of thinking along these lines and we're, we're – you know, looking at other symptoms and potential connections, you know, it really does, um, you know, it, it, the, the path kind of uh, does reveal itself. But, you know, the main thing is that, you know, that everyone is a bit different and that um, case by case is important. Okay, okay the last... So we can't... Wait, wait, no, no, no ahead, wait, Dan. really quick. I, I thought it was going to be the last point, but... Okay, so really, if someone comes in and gets a root canal, and they go home and they're fine, and, and it's fine. Shouldn't they still be looking further as to why that happened and how to prevent it, you know, in the future and dig a little deeper? I think, really, that's that's where dentistry, mainstream dentistry is failing. True? Yeah, that's that's very true in that, you know, the root canal, say we do have a root canal treatment that is successful and we um, don't have any other symptoms, uh, you know, the, the real reason, reason for that happening is that there's been a deep chronic infection into the tooth that um, that the, the body has not been able to heal. And so that should really be at the focus. And so the nutrient level, some of the things we talked about, uh, should, should be the absolute focus for moving forward because those deficiencies will um, potentially lead on to other problems if we don't address them. So just getting the tooth fixed isn't going to heal the body overall. And then just taking antibiotics. And so then you feel fine, your tooth's better, you've got your root canal, and you go on your merry way, still need to probably look at nutrition and deficiencies and things. And, and a lot of times, I don't think people realize, you know, they might feel fine or think they feel fine or just accept the way they feel and don't realize, you know, or feel any symptoms of their nutrient deficiencies or don't realize that it's connected to nutrient deficiencies. Is that true? I mean, yeah, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, that's, that's the problem, right? That's exactly the problem. That's right. Is that you know we we often don't feel um, issues you know until they become problems. And the mouth is a great kind of sign of that. You know, for instance, you know taking bleeding gums as a uh, as a, you know we might kind of ignore that until we have a you know chronic uh, periodontal infection. 
Um, but at that stage, you know, you've gone through a lot of uh, different stages of the disease that in some cases won't be able to be reversed. And so the early symptoms really are, uh, you know, kind of canary in the coal mines potentially for, for deeper problems. And so, you know, if anything, you know, uh, if you do have an issue with the mouth, I would really try to put it into the perspective as a message from the body that something is going wrong. Perfectly said. Okay. Yeah. So you had talked a little bit about the fat-soluble vitamins, the, the A, D, E, K. I know in your articles you mentioned about zinc. Are there any other focal nutrient um, that are that are so important to the mouth? You know, uh, molybdenum, iron, Anything that 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 we should be going. Hmm. So a big one. So the, what what we find and what Price found um, himself really was that the fat soluble vitamins were the uh, you know kind of the real baseline that the body uses for uh, bone and calcium deposition into teeth as well um, the immune system and so they're really what we should be focusing on in terms of managing our, uh, our oral health. Our teeth are probably one of our cardinal signs as to whether we're getting enough. Uh, but the support system for fat-soluble vitamins is really important. Magnesium is a really important one. Um, the way your body utilizes vitamin D is hmm. dependent on magnesium. So anyone with tooth issues, um, whether it's gum disease or, um, or tooth decay, should be thinking vitamin D, but magnesium really goes alongside vitamin D, and we should be going. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, it can be difficult to get today because of the we do a soil depletion. So foods that should be rich in magnesium aren't always today. So that's a, a nutrient I, I would certainly uh, be looking at in terms of um, you know how we're getting it from the diet, but then potentially supplementation if we do have issues there with the gums, with, uh, for a, a tooth lesion of some description. You know, and it's Marley, funny because... That's a great... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's funny because when I, you know, we've had different um, experts and things on the show that talk about supplements and, um, and you know, there's a couple people we've had on that say, you know, you should really just be getting your nutri- nutrition from, from food. And, you know, that makes sense, you know, in a perfect world. I picture... When someone says that to, to us, uh, one of the experts, we've had a few people on that say, really, you know, supplements, eh, eh, you know, you should just be getting it from your food. Really, I imagine this person to be a hermit. This person lives on some really beautiful remote island. They have, and have um, no health tested, problems. They have, they have tested their soil. They have a perfect climate. They have their own water filtration system. They oh, right, and no health problems. Their own, their own food and things. I just, I can't imagine supplements you know in today's world there's just so many things coming at us daily i just you know supplements we have to have them that's just my thinking because i'm picturing this little person out on this island and i you know it's not not normal right how do we well, get to that island so, where? Uh, right? right where is you? <laughs> i'm so glad you brought up magnesium though because i know morley robbins talks about magnesium deficiency preceding every anemic situation and the relationship with zinc and copper. And so I'm so glad that you brought that up, magnesium and its relationship with vitamin D. Magnesium, it's, it's a topic all in itself. <laughs> okay, so we can't have 
the nutrition dentist and not ask you some favorite top foods that are beneficial for the mouth and the top harmful foods for the mouth? Oh, that's an easy one. Yes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I think you should have got a, a harder question, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, well, we, you we, never know. <laughs> <laughs> we have to hear it again. We hear it all the time. <laughs> we know Reinforcement we is important, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, yes, yeah, so right. Look, <laughs> for for healthy teeth, I really try and direct my patients towards eating food rich in those fat-soluble vitamins. So they're the key ones that, that really provide um, the nutrients that, that our body needs. And so that's things like, you know, well-raised um, egg yolks, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, getting back to natural fats like your, uh, for instance, butters, ghee, um, if, if we tolerate dairy. Uh, but then Organ meats is a big one. So for people that, um, you know, having a slice of liver a week really does help us to get that full nutrient profile that you will not get from the modern diet now, unfortunately. Uh, and so integrating that uh, back into the diet once a week <laughs> at a minimum, if we can, um, I, I really try and, uh, you know, help helping people to think about how to get these fat-soluble nutrients that are so crucial to the immune system Tooth formation, uh, healing, all these processes we've talked about uh, are, are relying on these nutrients. So getting those foods back in is really important. And then removing, obviously, the, we, we all know sugar is, is a big factor um, in terms of how it disrupts our gut and uh, metabolic issues. But then white flour, uh, so baked goods, pastas, uh, with white flour, we really find that it does... Um, metabolize in the body the same as sugar so you should be thinking about your flour intake and your sugar intake in the same kind of um, idea in that your daily um, amount really will be contributing to how much your your body has to respond how it changes the microbes in your mouth and then lastly the uh, the big one that people you know probably don't realize affect their teeth are eating refined vegetable oils and so these are your sunflowers your soybean oils um, your canola oils. Now these uh, in many packaged foods today and they really do um, unfortunately prevent uh, the body from absorbing those fat-soluble nutrients even if you do eat them because that's what gets packaged up into your blood cholesterol. And so the removing vegetable oils is one that's um, easy in the fact that they're tasteless, you won't notice them, but it's hard in that they're everywhere. So uh, you know, getting them out of your life, I think, is just so important because uh, they unfortunately don't help your body to absorb all of these factors that you need for a healthy mouth and teeth. So I, I hear one thing that um, let me rephrase this right. So for all the vegetarians that are listening out here, I heard uh, liver, I heard fat soluble vitamins. Um, is there a higher propensity for issues for people uh, that don't intake a high amount of those vitamins? Well, so for vegetarians, yeah, we would be thinking about uh, egg yolks and um, dairy if they tolerate or if they have that. Um, now, fat-soluble vitamins, we, they do convert to the active form in animal foods. So if you are eating a vegetarian, especially vegans, uh, you will not be getting these nutrients from food. So that's where they come from. You know, vitamin D only comes from what uh, animal products, vitamin K2. Um, 
comes from animal products too. There's there's a bacterial form from fermented foods, uh, but the animal form, which is the uh, the type in uh, organ meats, uh, egg yolks, uh, grass-raised uh, butter, that that only comes from uh, from animal foods. So it it is a, a consideration in that um, you know from uh, plant sources. Uh, you, the human body will have to convert these into the active forms, and so having that um, in your head really is important in uh, you know in how you're obtaining that. That's where supplements may be helpful if you're if you can't eat uh, or you, for instance, you have um, intolerances or something along those lines. Then supplements may be helpful to make sure that you're getting enough of these nutrients. All right, good to know. For those folks, that's a that's a good thing to know. My goodness. <laughs> we went through a lot of stuff. <laughs> I got one more question for you. I, I promise this will be the last one for me. So chewing and saliva and people drinking their food, any problems with that, Dr. Lynn, before we let you go? Well, we, we've hit a big question right at that. <laughs> the, <laughs> right at the end, right? yeah. You're like, oh, we need to come back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So chewing. One thing about chewing, and especially uh, I'd say to parents with kids, is that chewing is a nutrient. Um, it helps grow the jaws. Uh, it helps, uh, you know, the um, temporary mandibular joint. We are. Des- it's like going to the gym for your mouth. So chewing certainly kicks off the digestive process. Helps release saliva. Now our whole movement towards kind of you know juicing and and. Um, smoothies really does take this away and so I really try and push uh, you know my patients away from these kind of especially juices especially um, but you know I tell them to try and limit smoothies in terms of um, you know instead of having a daily smoothie you know have maybe a couple of times a week uh, because you really do remove that uh, mechanical but also then the, the chemical factors that happen with chewing and yeah, we're really not designed to have um, foods in in this kind of hyper-processed form. Um, you know, sure they can be uh, you know a great addition here or there, but for the most part, you're designed to chew your food. And in kids, that's what helps develop their jaws. Uh, and in uh, for digestive uh, problems, you know, you really do need that that um, everything to start in the mouth because it's all the it's the beginning of the digestive tract as it turns out. <laughs> All right. And there we have it. The mouth starts with nutrition and even problems that, that arise. Yeah. It's still the, it sounds to me what I've heard confluently through the whole podcast is nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. It doesn't matter whether you don't have any problems or whether you already have problems, you still have to go back to nutrition. I absolutely couldn't. You, you you summed that up so well. It's you know the and your mouth really I think is one of the most powerful ways to both design how you eat, but also how you kind of measure how uh, how your body is reacting to what you are eating. Um. Okay. So what do you have? What's new coming out on the horizon for you? I know, of course, the book, the Dental Diet. You guys need need to check it out. It's uh, you know, it's on Amazon right now, so definitely check that out. Oh, I was going to mention, I don't know if you heard us saying this, but Dr. Bart Hyman's going to be on the show next week. Didn't he do the forward in your book? 
He did, yeah. It, it's um, yeah. Mark Gray. We we had a few. We actually, if you if you do have time to ask him about his own dental experience, he's got a really interesting one. Um, you know, he went through his own process. So we we discussed that actually. Uh, you know, during all that. So you know, he's got a great story on that. So you know, and he's always food based. So I love Mark's approach and what he's doing out there at the Cleveland Clinic. It's it was such an honor to have him. You know, right the forward and. You know, it's really a great conversation. I think hopefully we can push forward into the broader health community where food really is a part of this whole, um, you know, healthcare system and that we really need to help, uh, you know, practitioners learn more about it but then also implement it in their day-to-day lives as well. I got a personal question for you real quick. It sounds terrible. But um, unfortunately, nutrition not being a huge part of the American medical education for physicians. How about dentistry? Do they focus on nutrition in dental school? Look, unfortunately, it's it's quite similar in that we don't learn about um, nutrition as much. Now, one thing about uh, dentists is, is that we've learned about sugar for many decades now. So we were kind of ahead of the trend in that, and we, we've been telling people not to eat sugar for right. uh, many decades before. You know, it's really only been kind of pop up in mainstream health, uh, health recommendations in the last five to ten years. Uh, so we learn about that and the connection to tooth decay, but it really doesn't go beyond that. And there is so much more happening that we can um, kind of measure and gauge through food uh, just beyond you know, r- removing sugar, which is a big issue, but it's so much more important than that too. we got bigger problems than just sugar, right? Oh, I hear you. Sugar's a big or problem. Sugar yeah, is a pretty big... big problem, right? Well, <laughs> sugar is a big problem, but there's other, you know, you can not eat any sugar and still be nutrient deficient and have major problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly right, it's, yes. It just boils down to nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, we have appreciated your time, especially at 1 o'clock in the morning. You need to go to bed. Uh, you've got work in the morning, right? What time do you have to get up? I do have work in the morning. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so we'll start in the clinic at nine o'clock. Yeah, so we'll definitely be going to get some some shut eye now. But it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it, and thank you very much for for having me. I I really enjoyed it, and thank you so much for the work you do to help to get this information out. It's so important for people with these health issues, you know, to to access and understand that there is help out there. Well, it's so nice to meet you. Uh, I love that you're calling from Australia. Never been. It's on my bucket list. But um, me too. I'm in Colorado, and Tiffany's in California. So it's it's so neat when we can we can do this. We're all over the world a little bit. I love that. Um, and it was fabulous to meet you. So thank you so much. Thank you Thanks so, so much. much. It was a pleasure. And yes. sweet okay. dreams. Yes, sweet dreams. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> bye bye. Good night, guys. How cute. Oh, my gosh. He was wonderful. I can't believe from Australia. Oh, my goodness. This poor man. I hope he goes to sleep very quickly. Wishing him shut-eye right now. Right. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. One o'clock in the morning. We appreciate, Dr. Lynn, if you're still listening, thank you so much for taking the time to be up in the middle of the night for us. My gosh. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So much good information. Nutrition. I, I, mean, I, I keep saying it, but really it does boil down to nutrition and, and, you know, paying more attention. I mean, you can't really exclude, you know, your head from the rest of your body, you know, like, 
I mean, like I was saying earlier, people go to the dentist, they have a root canal, they take the antibiotics before the root canal procedure. Sometimes they get the root canal and then the pain's gone and their tooth is the root canal and then they go home and then they think they're done. And really they need to be exploring a little bit more. I definitely know that I do. I mean, cause I didn't have the root canal recently. I had the tooth extraction, but I was already working on nutrition, my nutrition. So it doesn't really count. <laughs> well, and you know, he's got some great um, articles on uh, natural tooth things, um, being careful with, you know, like certain abrasive powders and even homemade stuff, like where charcoal can be very beneficial in toothpaste, but a little problematic depending on the percentage. And um, he's got some great, great articles on Dr. Stephen Lin, uh, spelled D-R, of course, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N-L-I-N.com. Amazing articles on all kinds of things, food, uh, natural remedies, mouth, you know, body connection stuff for kids, uh, and paleo recipes. So he's he's definitely um, very cool. Looking forward to that book and and perusing his site in yeah. depth. Yeah, right. That was I mean, awesome. And you know, and not to be make anybody feel overwhelmed, but um, you know, that's just <laughs> one more thing that you got to think about. Unfortunately, um, dental and oral health, you know, you got to, it's like a primary, it's a primary thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I see, obviously, you know, you've got people that are listening that, you know, that don't have cavities, but have gum disease for people that have a mouthful of fillings for people that have more root canals and are losing their teeth. And, you know, I mean, there's so many things and it all comes back to nutrition. It doesn't matter what phase you're at. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what phase you're at. I mean, you heard him repeatedly say, like the evaluation of each patient individually, but the the constant in all of them was nutrition, regardless. I, so and there, and there I is, appreciate that. I love that because I you know. do. You go into a dentist here, and it is just a flat answer. Oh yeah, it's just antibiotic. A, you get a root canal or get a filling, or and that's that. Not and then you they know, move on eating, to the next how, person next door, right? I mean, they could be very kind and gentle with you. That doesn't you know, that doesn't really help though. You know what I mean? That doesn't help. Could, no. And so, um, you know, I bet he takes more time and and gets to know the patient and and does a full history and that kind of thing. And that's that's what's needed. So, uh, my next dentist will be to a biological or holistic type of dentist. So, I hope we inspired right. uh, every, all the listeners to to try to you know um, explore those options too. As and always, listen, for a very people- big thank you. Uh, to our oh, listeners, sorry. I'm done. Please, if you get a free moment and you enjoy our shows, sounds like I don't, but I do. We'd love it if you left a little review on iTunes and, and let us know. Um, we would really, really appreciate it. And, of course, you can download the podcast uh, there while you're there on Stitcher, Google Play, and listen to them at your leisure. All right, and please check out ThriveProbiotic.com, our sponsors. And we heard a little bit about probiotic health and the mouth being very, very important. A mouth, gut, whole body approach. It is a spore-based and a superior product. It really, really is. We had the expert uh, probiotic guru on the show last week. So if you missed that, uh, Kieran uh, Krishnan was on. And uh, it's a must, must listen. Yep. Yep. Okay. Make sure to follow Thyroid Nation 
on Facebook and all social media platforms. And check out our Hashis and Graves Facebook. So Hashis and Graves. There we go. <laughs> Uh, right we will uh always put the upcoming guests etc um in there and you can ask questions so and if you didn't hear me earlier just um ranting and raving so proud of thyroid refresh um we tried to put together a site that would deliver information to you and be very very easy to understand and that you could absorb in bite-sized pieces and uh, that would help take out the overwhelm that is thyroid disease. And so I think we've done a pretty good job of it. Of course, you can become a member and get all the fabulous locked content. There's cooking school. Um, Jenny's going to do a um, a cooking school for uh, using the knife, like in the kitchen. So how to what's a, the best way to cut, you know, herbs and onions and and you know just you know some real good kitchen hacks. There's some fantastic movement videos on there. Um, you know, we have a dancey one. So, you know, right now we just um, signed on with a, an expert who's provided us with some Qigong videos. So really wonderful stuff. Please check it out. I hate to go on and on. Sorry, sorry. Okay. And, of course, we always want to remind you that wellness is a journey. We heard it. Everybody is so individual. Make sure that you are listening to your body at all times and be mindful of what it's telling you. This is Dana and Tiffany, your Thyroid Nation Thrivers, bringing the collective voice of Thyroid Thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. See you next week, a different time, a different day. Uh, if you listen live, Thursday, um, 1030 Mountain Time, so 930 Pacific on Thursday, Dr. live Hyman. with Dr. Mark Hyman. Cannot wait. We are excited. So excited. Yep. <laughs> okay, have a great, have a great day. Thank you.